Hello, Strat fans. I'm Jimmy James, and this is Stratology, the show for and by students of Stratomatic. Today on Strat Chat, we'll interview Mark Takamoto. If you play Strat 365, you probably know him as Hendrix08. He was the winner of the 2020 Players Championship. In fact, he's the first two-time winner in the tournament's 18-year history. He's also made the finals in the Barnstormers and is currently number five in the Barnstormers. Other than that, we have a new segment for you, and it's kind of the theme of the whole episode. Uh, my secret weapon is. On top of that, we've got a great round table for you. So, sit back, grab your cards and dice, and let's roll! Tournament Play! Today's look at tournaments is going to be a short one. We just have so much packed into today's show. The big thing I want us to look at is the Strat Tournament Players Club. The East Region held a tournament in New Haven, Connecticut, June 26th and June 27th, and the winner was Harry Flawed. A big congratulations to Harry. Now, I had said before we were going to talk a little bit more about the Mystery Tournament, but I think we're going to wait till next week to do that. It is currently about two weeks away from being finished, so by next episode, we should really have a good idea of who has a good chance to make the finals. The Barnstormers is halfway through Event 3, and Event 4 starts Monday, and the Players' Championship... Event 1 is about halfway done, and Event 2 just started. Back after this. You're listening to the 365 Sportscast Network, the streaming future of sports talk radio. Listen to us round the clock on the net over 365sportscast.com. On your phone with the 365 Sportscast app. And on your favorite smart speaker by enabling the 365 Sportscast skill and saying, play 365 sports. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of 365 Sportscast LLC, its owners and partners, or this network. So let's introduce our new segment, My Secret Weapon Is. First, I want to say, this segment is all about you, the listener. We all have that card we just love to play. The one we played since childhood, maybe. The one that we think gives us a leg up. This segment is all about that. But not my own personal secret weapon, although we do talk about that in Sir Strat of the Round Table. But instead, your secret weapon. We would love for you guys to call in on the 1-800 number and leave us a message. It would kind of sound like this. My secret weapon is Craig Paquette. His card is from the Back to the 90s mystery card set. 
a couple of reasons I like Craig. Uh, one, he plays five different positions on the infield and outfield. He can play first, third, or short. He can also play right and left. The only position he's really passable at is third base, and he's average at best there. But sometimes you need a stopgap just in case, you know, you have injuries or whatever. So he's really versatile in that in that way. Also, he's a right-hander that hits righties really well, and that's tough to find in Strad. And in the right park, you know, he can put up amazing numbers. Granted, I had his best year when uh, I played the season that I did, and uh, he hit 301 with 39 home runs and 86 RBIs. And for a player that's under a million dollars, you just can't beat that. A big thank you to Jimmy Dees for getting us started off right. So, if you'd like to tell us who your secret weapon is, give us a phone call. The number is 855-888-0096. We'd love to hear from you, and maybe you'll be on the show. Now we're going to do something just a little different. People who listen to the podcast version of the show got a few extra minutes last week where I explained the new music. Then I decided I wanted to share it here too. So if you listen to the podcast version last week, you heard the next few minutes, but then after that, all the content's new. So here goes. I'm sure if you heard the first episode of this show, you've already noticed something new. Music. It is brought to you by my good friend, and Grammy-nominated musician, Jeff Texon. I always say I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Normally I'm talking about family or how I got into music or theater, but there is one area of life that I am just truly blessed. Lifelong childhood friendships. The ones that have seen you through all your highs and all your lows. The ones that know where all the bodies are buried and, heck, may have helped you dig a few of the holes over the years. I personally am lucky enough to have three of them, and one of those is Jeff Texon. We became friends when we were 12 and 13. We went to a tiny Christian school. We were two of four tenors in the choir, only 40 kids in the high school part of the school. We've stayed friends through the years, worked on a few musical projects. The last one was about two years ago. He was musical director when I directed Rocky Horror. So when uh, we decided to do the show, I reached out, and he most graciously said yes. So all the music you will hear today and in the future will have been written and produced by Jeff Texon. And remember to check our website because we will have links to his upcoming shows and projects. I'm going to go off on a little side note that I hadn't planned. My father died when he was young, and Jeff's dad, Pops, uh, also a great musician, was there for me all the years until he just passed away recently. And uh, when Jeff came by to bring me the tracks for the theme song, he told me that he had used Pop's guitar for the final recording. And that just hit me, you know, right there. Uh, it's not uh, not a pretty sight to see a grown man my size crying. So know that I'll be jamming out during the breaks just like you guys, 
and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Sir Strat of the Round's Table. Today with me, Sir Dave, Sir Pete, and Sir Charles. Keeping up with the theme of the show, today's topic is My Secret Weapon. Hey guys, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Hey, what's up, man? So, let's start with, since uh, all we'll go through, Sir uh, Charles and Sir Pete was with us last time. Sir Dave, you're new. The first time Mm -hmm. you're with us. Um, uh, Just give us a little bit of background, Dave. How long have you been playing? I've been playing since... I was 85 because I remember um, I was playing my, we, this is the dice game, obviously. And we drafted teams. We had all the cards and I ended up with the 84 Tigers, which was nice. <laughs> so I won it that year. So in 85, you know, so um, yeah, we started back then. We used to play 108 games in a summer, four of us. We had a, you know, all kind of roles and stuff like that. So we had a great time. We did it for like five or six years and then, you know, life took over. But then after once the um, uh, we would also play tournaments, the all time greats. We'd get together once a year um, and play them. And then uh, once the online game come, came on, then it was, you know, playing all the time. Yeah. So it's been it's been a great journey. I love the game. Um, I love the challenge. And uh, even, you know, when the roles change, I used to be like, I didn't like this and I didn't like that part. But. Now I'm like, whatever, whatever the rules are, we're all playing by the same ones. So let's go. Ah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I, I started playing right, right. Just about that same time. So mm-hmm. very cool. Okay. The topic secret weapons. Okay. Why don't we start with you, Charles? Give us a secret weapon. All right. I've got different secret weapons for different eras. And of course, you know, if I didn't win anything, didn't win a league, they really not weapons but the secret weapons um i'm trying to separate that from uh favorite players so uh so in general it's kind of like the boston bruins when they have their seventh player award player that did better than you expected all right so in the 60s um billy martin and floyd robinson are my secret weapons uh, well, what's uh, the reason why? What's what's what do you love about him, or or what do you Billy like Martin about him? can play all these different positions? Maybe not all that well defensively, but he's got some pop in his bat. He's a great bench player. Uh, Floyd Robinson, if I platoon him against righties only and get a nice cheap uh, batter that bats against lefties, Floyd Robinson always bats like three fifty for me. Wow. All right. So in the '70s. Ellis Valentine, who is always underdrafted. So I like to grab him and uh, use, and I know we're about to play a 70s. You guys don't listen because we're about to play a 70s league. I already um, wrote it down. And, uh, <laughs> Mike Norris. I always luck out with Mike Norris and get that car that he just mows them all down. And same with Dave Kingman. I always get his Cubs year in mystery cards. So those are my 70s. Secret weapon. Real question: Do you play Ellis Valentine just against lefties, or do you play him all the time? All the time, his defense helps out. Mm-hmm. All the time. Eighties. Um, this is a, an underachiever. Uh, Seattle third baseman Presley. 
I love that card, a bench player. And if I don't get another third baseman, he starts for me. Um, 90s, Sammy Sosa is my banky in the 90s. Everyone knows that. I think you get a good, you get some great superstar years at a not the top, you know, 5% salary. And uh, my uh, bench secret weapon, oh, also Mike McFarlane at catcher always hits 30 plus homers for me. And uh, uh, Kuzelanik, my bench infielder, he will bat 300 for me. It's, you know, just for me, this is, sounds so self-centered, but like, but, you know, we are the kings of Strat. Like we control these players. They're well, yeah, exactly. And the Gruzelanik thing, he, he got a, um, he got a good average card. He doesn't yeah, hit for uh, too much power or anything, but yeah, you're right. He's always up around 290, 300, 280. So the good card to have on off the bench for sure. And maybe start if you need him. Yep. And lastly, in the 2000s, Robbie Cano at 1.79 million. He's got some really high hitting cards and you always get value from that. So he's always a weapon. And Carl Pavano at 750,000. He's got usually at that level of salary, you can hope for at one and a half playable years. Pavano's got about two playable years. So, you know, it's worth checking him out and then dropping him if he's not good. But if he got a good year from Pavano, he's definitely a weapon. Yeah. The Cano, uh, I agree with that off the Cano. The one, I just have to avoid that Cano card in the all-time great set. That's that really expensive one because that card kills me every time I pick it up. I just don't do anything with it. Okay, Peter, what what are some of your, what are some of your secret weapons? Not much of a 70s or a 60s player. Uh, so I don't really have anything for the 60s. But my, my really only, my, my single weapons for my 70s set is a platoon of Glenn Adams and Walt Williams. Reason why there's my secret weapons is, first of all, they're both only $750,000 each. And I have yet to have a season in which they combined for less than a 300 average and 18. 18 home runs. Um, they were just, they're solid. They do a great job. Um, and they, you know, for, for really for only a hundred and, you know, 1.5 million, it leaves a lot of, a lot of room for a lot of other players. And in that set specifically, defense is paramount. So you can spend a lot more money on some shortstops there. So now in the eighties, I have quite a few secret weapons. Number one, is my absolute favorite of all time, Jeff Treadway. He does not have a card. If, no, if you hit it right, first of all, you can only hit him against righties. But if you hit it right, he can be an MVP caliber designated hitter for you. He can also play the field. You could put him at third base in a platoon, but you'd have to find a, uh, um, a defensive sub. But he has four outstanding cards i think if if you hit it right i've hit it right a couple of times for me personally he's got a 330 average with a 380 on base percentage wow and if you hit him in the two hole and you against righties i mean i had him one year hit four 406 against righties uh it was just incredible card um so another secret weapon not much it's i've seen him used a lot but gary pettis in the 80s so he does not hit for average. In fact, I have him in a league now, and he's only hitting about 220. But he's got a 350 on base percentage. But the thing about Gary Pettis 
He's obviously he's a one in center field. He's cheap. He's only like 2.5 million. And uh, he can steal bases like nobody else in that. I have not had a success stealing bases as much as I had with him. So Gary Pettis will walk a lot for a guy who only hits about 220. He's on base quite a bit. And if he gets on base more times than not, he's going to end up on second base or on third base with, you know, if you set your uh, settings right. Um, so 90s is the set I, I played the most. Uh, I have a lot. I have a lot. Number one, my number one is a first base platoon of Ron Coomer and Mike Aldrete. He, those two guys have, they, they're both the same defensively. There are three at first base. And if you hit their seasons right, they're just as good as uh, uh, one of a mark, a good Mark Grace card or a good um, uh, Don Mattingly card. Yeah, you suffer a little bit, but you also can get that for about two point five million for the total. Um, and then second base, I love Harold Reynolds. Harold Reynolds has good cards; they're okay. Uh, but what he can do, he bunts really well. He doesn't hit for average, but he gets on base. Uh, but again, he's a great bunner, really good sacrifice. And Pat Kelly, I have, for some reason, I have always ended up with Pat Kelly's strong year. He ends up hitting 270. Uh, you know, you can, he works really well in the eighth spot, ninth spot. Uh, and again, he's a, a two uh, defensively. I think he's a two E13. So he's real solid. He's a good uh, it, especially in that 90 set, if, you, if you're not lucky enough to get a Alomar type player, uh, he's a good he's a good backup, and he's only uh, I want to say uh, 920 thousand. So you can just spend your money other elsewhere. Pitching in the 90s. Well, one thing there about that, real quick too, is there's not a lot of second basemen in that 90s set that you just that are like superstar value. You pay a lot for not for, you pay a lot for for getting not getting a lot of value in that set. I think exactly. And it, in fact, if you take a look, and whenever you do a '90s league, and ever there's a waiver, whenever that even after the waivers period, Harold Reynolds and Pat Kelly are always always available, and they're always a solid option. And then you always then you can go back to guys. Uh, you can upgrade all your other positions, especially th- third base. is hard to find. You know, get an upgrade at the '90s. And then what you can do with that, just spend that extra money, and then you can just bump up your right field because there's abundance of these, you know, these these power right, you know, these power right fielders. Um, and then in pitching in the '90s, Rick Reed, Rick Reed, and Rick Reed. I have Rick Reed has has I have never gotten. I, I, let me correct myself. I have Reed's bad year in two starts, so you can drop him like that. Rick Reed has. Four very, very playable years. And of those four, two of them, he'll be your ace. Now, he, he can't start on three days rest. But then I what I'll do is I'll complement those days or, or, or supplement those days. Bobby Jones, he's, he's got four very good, um, very good seasons where you'll get, you know, four to five good innings. And in the 90s, there's a tremendous amount of middle relief. And then Donovan Osborne. He's uh, 1.5 million, um, a, a, a solid, a solid left pitcher. And if you take a look, there's no, he doesn't have a whip. He doesn't have a whip below 
1.24, but he doesn't have one above 1.29. So you're, you know exactly what you're going to get. Um, and then in my 2000s, my, I, I'm still, I'm only about three seasons or four seasons to the 2000 set. But right now, my two secret weapons, well, one of them is not necessarily a secret weapon, but Mike Adams is just, if you get Mike Adams in relief, your fifth, sixth, seventh innings are spoken for. And nobody's, and if you get the right seasons, nobody's going to get a hit. Uh, but my, my, I would say my biggest secret weapon, who's always available and he's always solid, if you can uh, find a good backup for him, Randy Villard at second base, he's solid. Now, my, the backup that you should pick up is Nick Punto because yeah. Nick Punto basically – he compliments him really, really well. And in fact, if, if there are certain years with Velarde where you can platoon the two of them, I think Punto you put against righties and Velarde you can put against lefties or vice versa. I can't remember right now, but those two together are, are just as good as any other second baseman set. Um, I mean, I just had, I just recently in a set, um, uh, I can't remember who I picked up, but I had a second baseman. I, I, I was spending about five million on him. I want to actually no. I think it was. I want to say it was Brett Boone uh, in that set. It was what seven million, and he just wasn't hitting for me at all. And I dropped him, and I picked up Valerdi and Nick Punto, and they did better for me. Ended up going to the finals uh, with that set. So Punto um, has pretty good defense too, doesn't he? Isn't it a two? Who's that? Is Punto's defense a two or yeah, a three? He's a two e seventeen, I believe. And I mean, Velarde is a three, but there's also not a lot of other, there's not a lot of solid defensive. He's still one of the better defensive players at second base in that set. So those are my players, my secret weapon players. And I, and I guess we'll get, we'll get into yeah. the, the concepts a little yeah. later. So, so, so Dave, did you have any players or just concepts? I know we had talked before. If you, is yeah, there a uh, mainly concepts, but as, as we were talking, I was thinking of players at the top of my head. Um, some of the players that I try to get all the time. Um, and I'm a big on five-man rotations. I always go five-man because you don't – you pay for the asterisk. You know, that's, yeah. part of your, that's part of the salary. So, Terry Mulholland, every year, I mean, his, his – I don't even – I think he has one 130 whip, and I think all, all the other ones are in the teens. Maybe a 120, something yeah. like that. But he's a seven. He's solid. He's like a minus six. No one ever ran on Terry Mulholland, minus six. Um Hold rating. So he had those intangibles and stuff like that. The, the things that, you know, sometimes you may not pay attention to, but are kind of big, especially when guys get on base. Um, one night, one night, and I think Mahalan was 80s or 90s. I think 80s. It was the 90s, the 90s card. Terry Mahalan, I love that card. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The 90s. Okay. 80s and 90s. He has two, he has two uh, different cards. Okay. Um, one, one other one, Alex Gonzalez at shortstop. Yes, he is. He's solid. He's just like you just put him there and you just let him go for it. Now, he's he's not going to hit, you know, he's only going to hit 240, 250. But he got so you got some pop 15 to 20 homers. He's like, I think he's like a 219 or something like that. Solid at shortstop and just um, has a lot of at bats. So he can't get hurt for a lot of games. Um, I noticed that he's a he's a good guy. I mean, obviously, you have to build your team where shortstop you can. You don't, that's not going to be one of your main offensive positions, but um, he was a good one. And one other one, and this is the eighties, this it's Mark Davis, Mark Davis. Yep. Two reasons. One, 
you can pretty much tell what card you have pretty quickly with him because he has some awful card. <laughs> he got two cards that, are, that got awful. So, and what I do with Mark Davis is I will put him in, in a mop-up situation to begin the year. So in a mop-up situation, they don't put him in, in like lefty-righty situations. They just let him pitch. So that'll give me more information on what kind of card he has. So if he's getting rocked around and stuff like that, you know, pitchers are always obviously tough to figure out. But you can kind of tell that if, you know, if he has five or six outings where he's getting hammered, then you, you know, you cut him. But um, if he's pitching well, then you got one of those 105 cards or a Cy Young card. I mean, uh, he got a couple of really dominant cards. So that's the three players that I think I came up with off the top of my head as you guys were talking. So, so I think on on mine, when I'm playing in the, the 70s or 80s mystery, it would be um, the Dusty Baker. And it kind of follows in on that line where you said you easily could tell which year. Because on both Dusty Baker's cards in the mystery for the 70s and the 80s, if they've got four really good years and he's got one terrible year, the terrible year has a four has a four injury, so it's easy to pull up. And the second thing is his card is so stadium-based. If you are in a hitter's park, he just has so many homers checks. So if you, it, it's, it's, it's a card that if you are going to be in a homer park, it's going to play above every time. So I would say that was one. Um, for the nineties, uh, it, I've, it's been my Phil Plantier card because I've just been tearing up with that sucker recently. I just keep, I've, I've landed on the, on the golden year. Uh, a couple of times here recently. And if you get that rookie year where it's still a one injury and he didn't have a lot of at bats, you could get an MVP with him that year because that card just tears, tears up. My favorite player when I was a kid, because we had the 84 set and we had the 86 set. And I loved playing the 86 Cal Daniels card. It just, uh, there's my right-handed DH since I was, you know, since 80, 87. He has been my right-handed DH. And then what I love is in the, the, the only one of his cards that's better is the 87, which is the one they have in the all-time greats when you're playing online, because then you add in that just immense homer percentage on top of it. And... To have a card be about five million bucks and to have a 70% chance to get on base against one hand, it, I mean, his defense is, what, a 40 16, so you can't play him anywhere. But man, he can hit. He and, can uh, and that was my favorite card back when in the 80s. And I would say if I'm playing today, that 87 Daniels card is probably my favorite card today. So, the question would be to you guys then, um, what about when you guys were young and playing? Was there, when we're not talking about older and understanding the analytics, was there a card that you just loved to play back when you were, when you were a kid and loved playing? What about, 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 about you, Charles? What about that? 1977 George Foster. Oh, beautiful card. I love that card too. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Peter? What, you have one that you love from a kid? 
I can't remember the year now, but I would play with my dad and I loved Moose Scour because I was when I played baseball, I was a first baseman, but Moose Scourn was a righty first baseman and they were very uncommon back then. And my dad would always compare me to Moose Scourn. So for me, and he had, he would always hit home runs for me. I would just, oh, I mean, I did cheat every once in a while. I remember, you know, <laughs> picking those cards, but I, Moose Scourn, I can remember it so clearly. And I would always, uh, I would always bat him uh, second because I wanted to get him as many at bats as possible. So I always, I, I put him in higher up than even Mickey Mantle. So yeah, <laughs> I can't remember what, what season it was though. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. What about you, Dave? Childhood favorites. Ricky, 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 Ricky. Oh, Ricky being Ricky. <laughs> Ricky, Ricky likes Ricky's cards. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I love him. Um, I, he was one of my favorite players of all time. I mean, he's just uh, an interesting guy, too. But, um, yes. yeah, his, all his cards are good. It, it just doesn't matter, you know, because he, he's going to – just for the fact that he walks so much and he has that speed – right off the bat. And his defense is, is good too on some of the cards. You know what I mean? It's, it's okay. Um, and overall, he's just fun to play. I mean, you throw him in a leadoff spot and you forget about him and he's, and he's going to hit your home runs too. So Ricky, Ricky, Ricky for me. Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I, I Being from Northern California, you know, Ricky has a huge place in all of our hearts here because <laughs> I even, I, even me as a Giants fan, dude, we all loved Ricky. We all love him. So, okay. You know, know, Lou Brock was great, but now Ricky is the greatest. Yeah. After he stole that, um, the bank set the record. Lou Brock was great. Now I am the greatest. Okay, guys. I really appreciate it. That's it for Sir Strata the Roundtable. Thank you, Sir Dave. Thank you, Sir Charles. Thank you, Sir Pete. I'm Sir Jimmy James. And we will be back. You're listening to the 365 Sportscast Network, the streaming future of sports talk radio. Listen to us round the clock on the net over 365sportscast.com on your phone with the 365 SportsCast app, and on your favorite smart speaker by enabling the 365 SportsCast skill and saying, play 365 sports. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of 365 SportsCast LLC, its owners and partners, or this network. And we're here with Strat Chat, and I am here with Mark Tarkamoto, Hendrix08. He, uh, as you will guys, uh, if you heard the last episode, you know he just won the 2020 Players Championship. Congratulations, Mark. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Nice to be here. Uh, And one of the things also about Mark, uh, he is the first two-time champion of the Players' Championship. He won in 09, and then again now here in 2020. And a second thing, um, which is just, I I think, just really amazing, 
is he also has gotten into the finals league on the Barnstormers tournament. So to a place that high that many times in both of these tournaments that there aren't a lot of multiple winners in either one of them. And it's just, it's, it's pretty amazing, Mark. So yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, it's uh, something that takes a lot of luck to get into one, you know, the finals and then to actually come out on top. The roles have to go your way, as you know, um, so I think all you can really do is try and, and put yourself in a spot to make the playoffs. And then mm-hmm. the playoffs are such short series that you just kind of, it could go either way. Any team could come out on top in the playoffs. So just was fortunate to come out twice on top in the, in the players championship. Oh, very good. Congratulations. Um, so uh, have you, how long have you been playing uh, for uh, for first? How long have you been playing Stratomatic, the the game itself? Yeah, you know, I actually started online. I didn't know about the game until uh, it appeared online on the Sporting News. I've been playing online for about 20 years. That's probably since it started on the Sporting News. Uh, I think right after I got out of college, you know, I had a job and then I had some you know, extra money and I was looking at things to not not to spend my money on, but I just had some more time and I didn't have to study and do, you know, homework and all that stuff. So I, I kind of stumbled across the Stratomatic website um, on the Sporting News page and it you know, I always liked stats and, and baseball, so it kind of merged the two together, and it just kind of came together in terms of some, something that I really liked to do. It was kind of a merging of two things I really enjoyed, kind of looking at numbers and then baseball, so it was kind of a perfect fit. So I tried it out, and I, I got hooked, so I've been playing ever since then, so it's probably almost 20 years now. Oh. Did, did, did you play fantasy baseball or anything before that, or just go right into strat? Uh, I played fantasy baseball a little bit, but it can be a long season uh, on fantasy baseball. It just every day of trying to set your lineups to the matchups, and it takes a lot more attention to detail and staying up with what's going on, the matchups of that particular day, who's facing who, the ballparks. It, it just um, it's a little bit overwhelming. So I think this is a little bit better where you can kind of invest some time early on in setting up your team, drafting your team, and then after that, it's kind of it's almost not on autopilot exactly, but pretty close. You don't have to get into the fine details every day. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. You can kind of let it run. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that about math. Uh, is that what you do in your everyday life? Are you in, in, involved in, in, in a math type uh, uh, vocation? Yeah, you could say that. I'm, I'm an engineer, so oh. uh, I'm a civil engineer. I work on mostly water, wastewater projects, so I help, you know, Public agencies and, and cities uh, treat the wastewater before it goes into the streams or bay or whatever it is to make sure it's clean. So um, there's a lot of you know calculations and engineering uh, work that goes into that. So yeah, I definitely have that background. So that definitely is useful for crunching numbers. Uh, I, I'm by day, uh, I'm a mild-mannered accountant. So <laughs> I, yep. I also enjoy the way that the, the game combines numbers with baseball. Makes so, sense. Yeah. So... Question. Uh, do, so do you always play in the uh, every year you play in the Players Championship and the Barnstormers? Yeah, I've been playing the Players Championship pretty routinely. Um, I would say pretty much every year since, you know, mid 2000s. The Barnstormers I probably started 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago. I just took me a while to get into the ATG because the, the 
the rating set isn't as readily available. I really like to crunch the numbers, so I like to have like the, the role probabilities and look at the on-base percentages, the averages, all, all that stuff. And um, without Diamond Dope, you know, you don't have that access to those kinds of numbers. So once I once I found Diamond Dope and I was able to download at least some semblance of the stats to go with the ATG set, that's when I started getting into ATG a little bit more. Um, and I think ATG is fun because it has the pool is so large, you can try so many different things. Whereas, you know, the annual sets, um, it's, it's fairly limited in the player depth and you can't really try as many different theories or strategies, but ATG allows you to do that. It also makes it a lot harder to put together a winning team because everybody, you know, has their favorite players and they've, especially those people who play it all the time. They know exactly who to play where yes, it gets to be do. a bit tough. Yeah, that, I agree. That Barnstorm is, uh, that tournament is a very hard tournament. There are a lot of good players playing, man. I mean, yeah. not, not all the tournaments are very tough, but that one, it, it's, for me, it's definitely the hardest one to, like, crack into. I feel like everybody in the world knows more about these cards than me when I play that set. Yeah, I feel the same way, especially with the different salary ranges. Uh, playing the 200 cap versus like the 60 million cap it, it's a huge difference in how you put together teams so I, I can put together a team that wins you know one of one of those caps but then going different caps i always have trouble it seems like i have one or two teams every year in the barnstormers tournament tournament that just does just horribly and um you know so that always kind of puts me down at the bottom of, of the playoff rankings i have not figured out the 60 million or the uh the extreme pitching park either one they are. They were both killers for me. Right. They they just both of them. I mean, the teams were terrible. <laughs> I mean, they were just <laughs> bad. Right. So, do you ever play the mystery tournament? Uh, I haven't played the tournament. I've tried. I think I tried the '80s set once. Um, and again, I think that one again. You, I don't have the the data, the the role, the probabilities, and that was set. So it's harder for me to get into it. And then again, you have to kind of look at the results every day and go through them all. And kind of, is this is this an injury or is this like just what what happened? Is that's this yeah. this card or that card? And so it takes more attention to detail. Sometimes that just doesn't fit in my schedule, so I, I haven't mm -hmm. tried that one as much. Yeah. Okay. Very very cool. So um, we talked a little bit about how you got into Strat. Uh, have you played any of, of card and dice ever, or just all strictly online? Or have you played in the computer game or, or anything? Yeah, I've played the card game, you know, just at home, um, you know, with my with my family, but um, not regularly. We tried it once. I think another thing I like about the online version is that it takes away all the hard work that goes into trying to play the game. <laughs> you mm -hmm. have to look up all the rules, and if you want to steal, you know, how to calculate all that out, which which could be fun. But it just it just when you try to play with your family or somebody who's not as into numbers as you know you might be it gets to be a bit hard to find somebody who wants to sit there and try and read the rule book and there's, there's a curve there if, once you get past that curve i'm sure it's a lot easier but mm. just compared to the online version or computer game even it's it's a lot harder to play for me um the card game because i i know a lot of people who grew up with that they had all they had was the card game and so it's no no problem they love bringing out the cards looking at the cards so you read them you know just by looking at them they can see what's what um but i i just didn't have that background so I, this yeah. compared to well, the online game so much easier it, it well, and it's interesting to me to, to to talk to someone with that background of having started with the online game and not starting with a card in right. their hand to take a look at it but you know 
where where I've I've noticed myself is like when you play online and you can see the statistical graphs and things like that where you see the percentages of versus hands and everything like that. I use that now a whole lot more than I ever use the back of the card, you know, comparatively to like when I was younger, you know, because you you're really focused on that back of the card when you play card and dice and you know, so yeah, I think there's a lot of value to that. Yeah, and I get, I could tell a lot of the people you know on the forums have played for a long time, and they 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 grew up with the cards and holding the cards and seeing the cards, and that's how they they read them, that's how they judge their players, and um, I think that probably gives you a lot more insight, especially you know on the strategy side where it's like, should I get a good base dealer that can do this against you know this certain type of um, team, or just kind of how the mechanics of the game work? They understand those mechanics a lot better than I do. Somebody who's relied on the computer to run through all those rules and calculations and, and all of that. So I think it's definitely an advantage for some of the players who've played with the real cards in their hand. Yeah. I, I, I think I can see that too. Um, what is your favorite strat memory? <laughs> well, it's hard to have too many memories of uh, playing oh. an online game because yeah, yeah. you're kind of sitting there by yourself. I mean, obviously the championships are, are probably the biggest ones. I remember the first championship I won I really felt like I was an underdog going into that that playoffs, especially the finals. I think the finals team that I beat, um, it was a very strong. It was definitely a superior team, and so I, I was going to have to have some luck to to win that one. And um, I was just happy when I made it the finals at all, just to get you know into the prize tier of of, of winning something and say, yeah, I made it to the finals, came in second. And then when I ended up, you know, lucking out into the win. Um, I think that was pretty exciting for me. So, oh, yeah. I I would be ecstatic. I you <laughs> these 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 tournaments have a lot of good players in them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, well, usually I I have I have a cardinal rule that we don't ever talk about our own teams really because dude. We all know the most boring dude in the world is a guy that on Monday <laughs> wants to tell you about his fantasy football team. And you're like, dude, please. Okay, he's your running back. I got it. You yeah. know, uh, so you don't ever really go into that too much here on the show. Sure. But the league that you got, that you and I are both in, mm-hmm. the, 2020, uh, the 2021 Players Championship is insane. The people with Kizik in it and Cummings O two and you and Spider sixty seven, that's five championships between between the four of you guys all in one league. So that is it's it's pretty intimidating playing in that league with you guys. Mm. It's it's everybody's packed right in there too. Yeah, no, I I think it. <laughs> You don't know who you're going to get in the tournament leagues, right? You just kind of sign up and, um, you know, I don't cherry pick. I just, you know, sign up for whichever, whenever I get my team ready to go, I enter it and I, that's it. I'm, I'm going in. And so you don't know, you know, you could be quite a few, uh, you know, very high. Well, there are more than high, a few high caliber players in there, but definitely a lot of challenging uh, components. And then a lot of those folks um, will use similar strategies too. It makes it a little bit harder because, Really, you're all trying to find value somewhere in the online game. You know, there's a price, you know, per player, and you're all trying to find some sort of value in the set somewhere. It's not just about finding the best card because anybody can do that. It's 
trying to find the best card per value per your opponent's lineup. And um, I, I've seen more and more people use similar strategies to what, not that I invented them, but I just see a lot of players using the same strategies that I use. And, you know, that means there's a, a certain set of players you're trying to get, and they're also trying to get them in the draft, and then you end up missing on some of them, and it just makes it that much harder to try and be successful in those kind of leagues. Yeah. Oh, I, I I thoroughly agree. And, and and it's it's one of those things when you're when you're drafting, you kind of have to factor that in, especially when you're playing with a, a a group of guys. When you take a look and you're like, hey, man, there's there's quite a few good players here. There's a good chance they're going to be you know doing some of the same things that I'm going to want to do. Going to want to go after some of the same guys who I think have value. So maybe I got to draft those guys a lot earlier than I would want to or normally draft, even yeah. if I was in a regular league. Right. No, absolutely. You know, I learned a lot in the finals league for this past year, the player championship, where it's the first part of it's a live draft, which is you know clearly different than the way the rest of the tournament goes. The rest of the tournament is all just auto draft. You just spent your, your, your card and it drafts for you. But, to see how other people were drafting some of those players way higher than I would have ever drafted some of them was really, it threw me off quite a bit because I had kind of my list of who I normally would have drafted uh, in an auto draft and where I thought they would go. But when people started drafting live, it, it was a lot different than um, what I had seen in the auto drafts. So it was kind of eye opening in that perspective as to what people value and who they try to, to make sure make sure they get, you know, when they have that window of the next pick and they want to make sure they get a certain player who they picked, it was very surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, we had one of the things brought up when you were talking about that. Do you ever look at, like, when you're picking a guy, who the guy right below them is? So you're saying, hey, you know what? Oh, I don't want that guy right below him, you know? I don't want that shortstop that's a great hitter but a 3E29, you know? I just can't go there or something like that. Does that ever come into your, when you're drafting any factor? Not too much. I think that's more a factor in ATG where, you know, there are so many players right there where you can pick a guy and then when the guy right underneath them is probably either somebody you really don't want or somebody that you're like, oh, yeah, I don't wouldn't mind getting that as a consolation prize. And that kind of factors into the strategy. Um, I think in the, in the 2000s game, it's, it's a bit different that, it's basically a crapshoot. You don't know, you know, the, the quality of the person underneath it could be good, could be bad. Um, so I haven't really tried to focus my drafts on that too much. And I think in the 2000 set, again, the, the sets change every year. Whereas ATG, there's some stability that, you know, the same set will be around for a couple of years. So you can invest your time in trying to identify replacement players. And that'll last you for a while. You get, you get some more length out of your investment there rather than the 2000 sets where it's just, one year and you're done, and then you have to learn a whole new, uh, you know, replacement value at the at the next year set. Well, th- that brings up a good a good thing. What do you think about the uh, the latest set, the 2020 set? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. It, it gives you a, a lot more variety of of cards than you normally would see in the, in, the, in the annual sets. It's just all over the charts you see people you know with with lots of kind of quirky cards and uh, a lot of really bad defense out there this year with, with good hitting cards so this kind of makes you think about you know is it really worth that that defense versus that that offense um 
pitching with the the no star rating that's the the hugest i mean our largest impact i've seen there's no more star starters right so that aspect of the game in the 2000 sets is gone um you know before that that could be a real strategy whether or not you try and get the very few star premium frontline aces or you try and just go for more middle every five day rotation people that 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 strategy is totally different now this year so um I think another thing that surprised me this year said is how good the relievers are at the price point. Seems like relievers are are kind of underpriced a little bit, mm-hmm. um, given how good some of those cards are. They had very short seasons, and some of those relievers had a very strong um, statistical season, and the prices seem to be a little bit off yeah. uh, in, in that regard. I I agree with that too. I agree with that too. It it's a very interest. It's a very platoony season for sure. Right. There's there's few guys that do it all. Right. And the ones that are are kind of expensive. Um, you know, I'm in another league where it was a hundred million dollar league just to try and try it out. It's it's just a test league and Yeah, um, I'm in that one with you too. Yeah, I, I was I thought I think you're in that one too. And I ended up with Machado at third base out of the draft. I didn't draft him, but you know, you have to spend a hundred million dollars and I, I don't think I would normally roster Machado, but you know, with a high cap you're kind of got to take the, the best card you can get sometimes just because you need to spend the money and um you know those high high um sorry a good defense cards can be overpriced by quite a bit and so you, you really don't get a lot of offense for the value in terms of dollars on those really good defensive cards like bachado it's um yeah it's you're overpaying quite a bit for defense in the set oh i agree i definitely agree with that i definitely agree with that Okay, so, um, you know, with with the fact that so many people have joined the game in this last uh, in this last year and a half or so, uh, do you have any like tips for newbie players, guys that have just have just started playing, just some some things for them to focus on? Not no, not give away all your secrets, but just for a new player that's you know struggling right now and uh once enjoys the game but doesn't understand how to like uh to to you know take themselves to that next level if that makes sense you know any any advice for them i think number one especially if you're playing 2000 set if you don't have the rating set i I would get the rating set and you know i think the forums have lots of uh posts and um reference material for how to start evaluating cards. So I think that's a good start. Try, trying to get a system in place on how you're going to to evaluate the cards just by looking at the back. It's helpful, but you can miss a lot if you're not used to seeing those cards and what's there and how to calculate the value. Um, another thing was what I just mentioned is that the higher priced good defenders aren't necessarily the best value. I mean, they're definitely good players, but they take up a lot of your roster space. If you know the Machado card is like $10 million, like I was saying, and that's you know, in an $80 million league, that's going to be a huge chunk of your salary. It doesn't leave you a lot left for anything else. Um, so I would I would kind of look for more value than the higher priced star players that maybe young, or not young, but new people would probably just kind of like, oh, I want this superstar on my team, but this got a super price tag to go with it. So, um, you know, obviously that that can be tough to overcome. And then I think it's probably pretty obvious for looking at the tournaments and uh, who's successful there that platooning definitely helps you out quite a bit. Players have two distinct cards, the left hand and the right hand card. 
And a lot of times you can find a lot of very strong value in players who have very strong cards on one side, but very weak uh, on the other side. So um, that's another one. Uh, I see a lot of new players end up with all right-handed lineups. And I think in a competitive environment, somebody's going to pick that up pretty quickly and you're going to get shut down by a very cheap right-handed starter that's going to shut you out for a very small price uh, from your opponent. So, you know, you got to have some variability. That Even if you're a right-handed park, you still need to have some some variability in your lineup. Otherwise, somebody who's savvy is going to pick up on it and just kind of use a very cheap person to kind of turn that very strong right-handed lineup into kind of a mediocre one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of great advice for the guys. So, Mark, thank you so much, man, for coming on with me. And, dude, uh, like I said, congrats on that. Oh, I, I know I was going to ask you, what how, what year did you get in the finals league for the Barnstormers? How, uh, you were 09 for the Players' Champ, then 20 for the Players' Champ. Had you made the finals league other than those two times for, for, uh, for the Players? Yeah, no, I, 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 I routinely make the playoffs. I don't always make the finals. Um, but I normally make the playoffs in the, in the regular, you know, 2000s tournament. So that's pretty common. Um, I don't always make the finals, like I said, but I'm, I'm usually in the playoffs. Uh, the Barnstormers, I can't remember. It's only been a handful of times that I've made the, the playoffs and I made the finals. I'm not sure if it's once or twice, but I think when I, when I play ATG, I usually get a little bored. So I try different things. And so, um, I tend to experiment a lot yeah, with yeah. those teams. And that, that's why I said I usually end up with a couple of teams that are just terrible just because I'm trying something else out. And I haven't really, you know, put the kind of energy that I do into the, the regular tournaments, uh, the well, player championship tournaments into ATG. Well, one of the things that makes, I think, the ATG interesting and a little different is that whole ballpark factor mm-hmm. of having... Yeah. Dude, it really makes you create multiple different types of teams except for those huge salary caps then it's just beer league softball <laughs> who's gonna win whoever gets the roles because everybody's playing with the best players you know but um but i think that that's one of the things it kind of it, it lends itself to a little bit of that you know uh creativity that that making frankenstein's monster team you know it kind of it kind of lends yourself to that when you are like focused to do on like a certain type of stadium or you've got to do a lefty stadium or you've got to do a extreme pitching stadium. I think that kind of you know uh, leads to that tinkering or leads to that want to wanting to experiment. I think so. Uh, very understandable off of that. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I- Thank you, Mark, so much for for joining me today. Uh, good luck in the 2021, except for in the league we're in together, because we're <laughs> right. also in the same division together. So I hope I wish you luck in all the other four. <laughs> yeah, same to you, absolutely. Uh, thank you, thank you so much, Mark. I, I and I would love to have you have you back on sometime to talk more strategy too. So that was is really great talking to you. Sure, anytime. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks, bud. Thanks.
That's it for our show today. We want to give an extra big thank you to our guest, Mark Takamoto. We also need to give a big thanks to our roundtable, Sir Charles, Sir Peter, and Sir Dave. A big thank you to Andrew Burkham, Joaquin Lewis III, Carolyn Snyder, Jimmy Dees, our music man, Jeff Texon, all of our lovely Patreon supporters, and most importantly, you, the listener. All the music that you heard today was written and produced by Jeff Texon. If you like the show, find, like, or follow us on social media. Check out our website at strat-o-logy.com or leave us a message on our 1-800 number. Tell us who your secret weapon is. The number is 855-888-0096. That's 855-888-0096. Hey, Jeff. Will you play us out? You got it, Jimmy James. We will see you here next Saturday on 365 Sportscast Radio, Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Same Strat time, same Strat channel.